Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. Thanks for joining me, because this show is all about having profound and in-depth conversations. And the purpose of that is to inspire you and to support you in expanding your horizons and getting more knowledge so you can make informed decisions in your life. And that has always been the purpose of the show. It's empowering you with truthful information so you can navigate with more understanding and hopefully more wisdom and definitely more strategies the many challenges that life brings us. It's inevitable. Life will bring us challenges, and the name of the game is to be as resourceful as possible, to open your mind, to be curious, and keep expanding your your knowledge and your wisdom. And today we have another wonderful guest that will definitely expand your knowledge and wisdom and your resources. We're talking with Dr. Michael Shea, and we're exploring the biodynamics of the immune system. And this is a really important show. I'm glad you're here listening in because this is a vital information to empower you um, to uh give you the strategies to keep yourself healthy and strong and rejuvenated in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead in challenging times. So let me just share a little bit about my guest. So Michael Shea holds a doctorate in somatic psychology from the Union Institute and has taught at the Upledger Institute, the Santa Barbara Graduate Institute, and the International University for Professional Studies. He is a founding board member of the Biodynamic Craniosacral Therapy Association of North America and the International Affiliation of Biodynamic Training. He is the author of several books, including Somatic Psychology, and his latest book is The Biodynamics of the Immune System, Balancing the Body with the Cosmos. So you're all in for Quite an expanding, <laughs> delightful conversation with Michael today, and it's my pleasure to welcome Michael Shea to What Women Must Know. Michael, it's so great to have you. Thanks for being here. Oh, Cheryl, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Well, I've been looking, to our, looking forward to our conversation because, wow, there's so much to um, to to bring to light, there's so much uh, wisdom here, and mostly you have been dedicated to sharing information that saves lives, and that's what um, what we all need to know. Um, you know, before we go into this new work that you've brought together in your book uh, and your passion, your purpose, I, I always ask my guests to share a little bit about their personal journey. What was it? on the way to your life, <laughs> on the way to your purpose in life, that happened that led you to this, you know, to, to this service that you are now bringing to the world? Oh, Cheryl, thank you for asking. Um, you know, the book itself is a little bit autobiographical, and I was uh, trained as a military officer during the era of Vietnam. And although I didn't go to Vietnam, I was stationed in Germany in the early 70s, and um, I had the misfortune to be part of uh, involved in a terrorist bombing attack 
in which there were casualties and death and uh, and it it created a, a lifelong struggle with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder because when I got out of the service um, as a result I was morbidly obese I weighed a hundred more pounds than I do right now and I knew I was in trouble because when I got home, everybody thought that everything was just going to be fine and I would go to law school. And the incident, the terrorist bombing attack, really created a U-turn into my future. And I knew I had trouble because I was overweight. And so I began investigating uh, in the health food stores what was available at the time. Uh, I lived in a raw food commune in New York City that my sister was involved in, and I learned European naturopathy uh, through the Ann Wigamore Institute in Boston, which is now the Hippocrates Health Institute. So I then became a massage therapist because I needed to earn, I needed to earn some, a living. You know, I had to start making some money. And so in the mid-'70s then, I began turning it around. I lost the weight. Um, I became a licensed massage therapist in the state here. And then I went on to a variety of graduate degrees and advanced trainings in, in manual therapy. And that kind of ended up, you know, ended me up where I am today with, you know, all the different things that can happen in one's life, you know, divorces, marriages, you know, all the things that go on. Uh, and now I'm feeling really kind of stable and, and set in my life and and have a message to give, given the complexity of what I've studied and what I know about my body and what I know about the contemporary client right now from all the clinicians that I work with around the world. Well, that's, you know, that's such a fascinating story how um, how – it's always fascinating asking that question of my guests because we all have had major events in life one way or the other that um, generally has taken us in a totally unexpected direction that fulfills a greater purpose and destiny that we probably didn't know about before at all, whatever these events happened, right? And has, has um, in your case, I mean, you know, it's not only your own healing that has guided you, but you have become such a, a leader in this work. By the way, um, I have worked with some amazing cranial sacral practitioners, and I have to say it's such a deep and profound, profound connection to the intelligence of the body. Um, it's astounding, actually, what happens when you work with a cranial sacral practitioner. Um, of getting communications from the body going so deep. Um, so this is, you know, I'm so honored to be having this conversation with you because you're such a master at what you are doing right now and bringing into the world. Thank you. Um, I, I think what happened, you know, in that incident in the military, as I reflect on it over the past several years, it was the birth of compassion because it, it really opened my heart. And I was fortunate enough to have, you know, enough help when I got out of the service and in getting involved in manual therapy, I got involved in psychotherapy and, and all the different therapies that, that were around. And I really feel that that's been the guiding force is, is compassion, how to help. And, and right now in the last 10 or 15 years, 
we have an underlying pandemic of, of ill health and it's ill metabolic health. It's called metabolic syndrome. And the majority of, of these, our Western countries now, have very, very sick people. For example, 93% of Americans, as of a year and a half ago, have a metabolically unhealthy heart, 93%. That's not good. So the book was written with the intention, with a compassionate intention to save lives. And so I put a lot of material in the book and a lot of practical material, not just the theoretical component. Well, let's, you know, let's explore this um, understanding, first of all, of what has happened to our health. So what, 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 what has occurred and what we have accepted as normal now? I mean, in my practice, and I've been working in either mind-body um, psychotherapy, which is kind of where I began after my personal journeys and exploration <laughs> traveling around the world, and then, um, and, then, and then exploring the physical side of things, becoming a naturopath, and now very fascinated by energy and frequency medicine and, you know, all forms of healing, which basically we, we need to understand all these levels from the physical to the spiritual. Um, what, what is your perception of what has happened that has led to this deterioration of, of truly tr- true health, true quality of health, aliveness, alignment with ourselves, with the greater universe, which is all part of healing. What, what's, your, what's your take on this process that has occurred for us? Well, Cheryl, that's a, that's a really good question, and, you know, it's, it's a deep question, and it, it could span a lot of different topics. Um, you know, there's the politics of food, and there's the shift in the biomedical field at the turn of the last century uh, towards less looking for causation and more just working with risk factors and so forth. And then after World War II, you, you've got a big ag taking all the nitrate reserves from the bomb-making um, apparatus of World War II and then putting them in, into, into the land. And so you've got a and then big and then big food. And I think what my book points out is that over the past 15 to 20 years, there's been a recommendation for a low. Um, it's called a high-carb, low-fat diet. And it turns out that that's really precipitated a, a downward spiral in the metabolic health of people. And so there's a lot of, you know, thousands of research reports right now saying, oh, we've got to reverse that. We've got to get away from that. But it's, it's become a politically entrenched position. And I don't want to get into the politics. I want to help people get embodied and find a way to repair their gut, when you see how devastating ultra-processed food and added sugar is to the intestinal tract, and uh, one of the leading medical authorities, I went to a speech last week, he, he's over here from Switzerland, and he, he made a bold statement, and he said, all cancers are diseases of the intestine. And, and so we, we had a, a lot of talk and discussion about the degradation of the intestinal tract and, you know, the microbiomes. These are terms that we've heard, but now it's serious because 
of the last three years was the pandemic. So with COVID and the vaccines, it, according to the, the European doctors that I work with, and I teach at a, at a, a medical clinic over in Europe, in, particularly in Switzerland, it's the level of toxicity in the human body right now just couldn't take COVID. It couldn't take the vaccines because the base of what was going on within the immune system of the human body mm -hmm. was almost already destroyed, and it took it right over the top. So we see an astronomical rise now in cancers, uh, autoimmune disorders, all this kind of stuff, especially with younger people. I did a consult over the weekend on a young man, 39 years old, dying of, of colon cancer, and he's expected to be, um, you know, dead this week. I mean, that's a tragedy. Um, and so I'm focused on the diet in the book and then the spiritual component of that. And, yes, there are other ways to parse it and look at it, but that's what I focus on in the book. We've got to look at the kitchen as the new emergency room. And beyond the emergency room, it's the heart. It's the compassionate center of a house. And not many people know how to cook. So we're trying to revitalize the human body and get back to common sense approaches with our diet and just becoming embodied. Well, you know, when you have that big view of what's going on, which I totally agree with and I observe it as well, um, you know, I, I just want to say to everyone listening to, um, to be willing to listen to this conversation with um, an open mind. And I say that because so many of our choices, Michael, and the choices of what we watch on television, the choices of what we buy out of the supermarket are based on these addictive patterns which are really hard to break. Um, and we justify them. You know, we just, we just want our pizza and we just feel like a pizza and we just want to watch that binge on that series of whatever crime and murder. Um, and um, it, it's often a challenge to inspire people to make some changes when we get our dopamine hits, right, <laughs> from these, yeah. these experiences that generate that feel-good emotion within us. Um, so, so for everyone listening, um, yeah, I just invite you to listen with an open mind and a curiosity and a willingness to perhaps investigate some ways that will really profoundly transform your physical, emotional, mental, spiritual connections. You know, um, it's, it's hard to be happy with a body that is not functioning at, you know, 100%. It's just impossible to have the emotional well-being. So anyway, I just felt compelled to share that with everyone because sometimes you know, getting people to to be willing to hear this information and apply it is the challenge, right? Yeah, that that's the thing because in the clinic that my wife and have, we have it here, and you know that just the patients and the client, different clients we see, it's like you have to be careful with what you recommend as a start. You know, where do you want to start with this? Do you, do you want to get off the goldfish and the potato chips and, and the hot dogs? <laughs> you know, where do you, where do you want to start with all this? Do you want to start by, you know, having a what we call a technology-free day? My wife and I, one day a week, turn it all off. We shut it all down. 
and actually go 24 hours, sometimes 36 hours with, without technology. So these are, these are, it takes discipline and it takes effort, but there, there needs to be these small baby steps, these small steps. And I think the listener really needs to understand that this is trial and error. You know, everybody wants the cookbook, you know, and everybody wants the magic pill. I totally understand that I, because that's, that's what's been promised to us. Our parents' generation, you know, helped create a medical system that, you know, we were going to, supposed to get these magic pills. And in some cases they are. But in many cases, they're not, and they, they really aren't that helpful. And they also have to be detoxed. And so we have, to, we have to come into an understanding of how do we have a detoxification lifestyle? Because I was seeing the research last year, one out of six deaths now worldwide is just because of pollution from the air we're breathing, not just the food we're eating, but the air we're breathing and the images that we're looking at on television and so forth, the violence and so forth, and the virtual violence. So having a small start, but we need help, and we need a coach. And so that's what we offer here, and we have a network that we expand out into with health coaches and get people hooked up to a coach and find out what's right for them. Where do I begin? Is it reading the labels in, in the store of what's on the back of the jars and the food I'm eating? Because if you can't pronounce the words, don't buy it. I mean, it's that simple. And so we go through, you know, those kinds of steps and just see where people are at and where they can start to heal themselves in order to become more embodied and embodied in their senses and to repair their gut and to repair their heart, really. It's, there's a lot of heart repair that needs to happen. Well, let's talk about both of those needs, the gut and the heart, because that, that statistic you shared in the beginning of our conversation, 92% of people have, you know, an impaired heart function. Uh, uh, pretty staggering uh, conversation <laughs> to, you know, address. And, uh, and, and they're related. Uh, so let's, you know, let's talk about that and let's help people understand it and then uh, guide people to some steps that, pe- that people can begin to take to to heal this. Because I guess the important message is thing, these, you can heal anything. Bottom line, you can heal anything. Anything can be reversed. I've seen the miracles. I witness them all the time. So that's, that's the big message, right, that if you're willing to make changes – you can heal. Yeah, I like to say, Cheryl, it's never too late to get the love you need and you want. And food is love. And I know people like to say people love their pizza. I did. I remember those days. And I, I just think it's very important to to have people understand that you can have a measured indulgence. You know, it's not about a, a complete fasting, you know, and getting away from the gluten or the ultra-processed foods. It's a reduction. And to know the timing of, of when you can have this measured indulgence where it's not creating a problem. And so it's a lot about recognizing the ultra-processed food and the added sugars and added chemicals, especially preservatives, because preservatives in food are like antibiotics. 
they do the same thing. They destroy the microbiome. And, and now some of the latest research is talking about parts of our microbiome are becoming extinct. And that means that parts of our body are becoming uninhabitable, such as our intestinal lining. Well, Cheryl, when that happens, when there's this, this breakdown in the barrier of, of the gut, the first place that that breakdown goes is the immune system, and it creates inflammation, what is now called silent inflammation, and it goes right into the bloodstream. And it goes systemic into the liver and then into the whole lining of the cardiovascular system with this um, inflammation. And depending on your epigenetics, you know, what you came in with, with your family lineage and so forth, that's going to mean if your family has a history of heart conditions, then it's going to head towards heart or cancer or obesity or type 2 diabetes or dementia and so forth. But unfortunately, this systemic inflammation is targeting the heart mainly. And as we know now from long COVID, and some of the vaccine side effect uh, reactions that are occurring worldwide, that there's an addition, a very big additional pressure on the heart with pericarditis and myocarditis. So that's, that's contributing to this problem. But let's look at it from a spiritual point of view. That's all, that's almost medical. And, and I think sometimes people get scared with all the medical stuff and it's a crisis and, Yes, it is a crisis, and as you said, Cheryl, and I completely agree, it's never too late to turn it around and change it. And so in classical Chinese medicine, we have to empty the heart. You have to empty your heart so the spirit can come into the heart, the spirit that runs the blood, the the so-called source chi uh, that runs and empowers the blood and the spiritual chi that moves through the blood and it resides in the heart. And when that heart is full of inflammation, it's hard to make room for the spirit to come in and for you to feel connected with your body and in harmony with your body, but also, you know, as we talked about earlier, how to feel in harmony with the natural world, the environment that you live in, and to see the raw beauty. Like I'm looking at mango trees right now. I don't want to make anybody in your listening audience jealous, but I'm looking at a lot of mango trees in blossom right now, and I feel a lot of joy when I look outside, and I live a block in the ocean. And when I go to the ocean, I look at the horizon, and I, I look out into space, and I just let go of my thoughts into an open awareness. And all of this is, is coming into balance and harmony, as they say, outside balancing inside, as within, so without and trying to keep that balance from inward to outward. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine has really guided me for a long time now. And um, the heart is, as you were saying, is our spiritual center. And, of course, the, um, the Heart Math Institute is doing so much work on understanding this huge field that the heart emits. The heart is the center of who we are. And um, the, the brain actually is, is beholden, in a sense, to the heart. 
and when we have to learn to to open our heart to feel that compassion the gratitude and um to do that deep healing which has closed us down uh, those are some of the thoughts that just come to mind right now michael as you're talking well you know i I've been an academic embryologist, and what's interesting is that the heart is the first organ that develops. When when we all were human embryos and when we were the size of a, of a lima bean, you know, we had a completed cardiovascular system for that stage of development, and that was the first organ that developed. And all roads, even from the brain, you know, and from the umbilicus, all roads led to the heart. And then the brain came into development. So we have to really think, you know, of the heart as the center of our being, not only from an embryological point of view, but also from that spiritual point of view. I've been a student of Tibetan medicine now for 40 years. And Tibetan medicine has numerous influences from India, from the Ayurvedic tradition, but also from classical Chinese medicine. And it's given me a really good opportunity to look at this nature of the heart from a spiritual point of view as well, because we have to empty our heart. And when you and I say that, it means that we have to be emptied of these strong emotions that are polarizing us. They're polarizing, you know, our culture. I'm not saying that we have to surgically remove all of that stuff. We're human <laughs> beings. I, I had a little emotional upset over the weekend. But I worked through it. I got through it, and I didn't create chaos with my marriage or my, the friends around me. I got through it. It's okay to be human, but when we carry that strong emotion, that dislike, that anger, the hatred, the, this intense polarization that we see in the culture right now, it completely turned me off. Because, Cheryl, I like a lot of people I've talked to, that first year of lockdown, I was angry. They shut my beach down. I, I was not allowed to walk on my beach for six months, and I felt starved in that way. And I got angry at the government and angry at this and rageful. And I went, boy, this isn't it, – it, it hurt my heart because then I got into AFib. And I had several experiences yeah. of atrial fibrillation. And so here I am having to go to a doctor, and anger is the most cardiogenic cardiotoxic, I should say, cardiotoxic emotion. And okay. I had to work with my anger and really, you know, get it down. And so I, I got deep into my spiritual practice. I went more into seven-day uh, meditation retreats. Um, they were all online at the time, which is very fortunate. So I periodically do a seven- to ten-day meditation retreat online and I just lock myself in my bedroom for seven days and meditate, you know, with, with a teacher. And this has really helped heal my heart. I'm not saying everybody needs to meditate, um, but find a way to get spiritually connected to calm down and reduce the polarization, even the faith-based polarization that is devastating here in the United States when you see ministers and preachers, you know, preaching a polarizing sermon. Um, I have a hard time with that because we're looking to empty the heart into a, a non-dual open awareness, you know, of love and compassion. And that means reducing anger and the toxicity of anger. So um, what, um, what are your 
strategies, I guess is the right word, for, first of all, recovering the function of the, the gut, this intelligence within us. And it is the center of, of our intelligence. It's the center of our producing our neurotransmitters. It's the 80% of our immune system is in our gut. Um, our, you know, I'm into women's health and hormones and discovering that, you know, estrogen is originating by production of the microbiome in our gut. I mean, this is such a profound center of who we are that's so damaged. I mean, I look at my tongue, you know, working with um, traditional uh, Chinese medicine, and they use the tongue as a diagnostic tool. And um, if anyone looks at their tongue and you see a big crevice down the middle of their tongue, that's your gut, and it shouldn't be there. And and uh, you know, I have worked with Chinese herbal medicine for almost 40 years. I take probiotics. I'm really mindful. But I, I you know, my something happened that damaged my gut when I was an, probably an infant. You know, who knows? I was never breastfed. I think I, you know, have memories of stories of being a sickly kid. So I must have had a lot of antibiotics. So something happened early in my life because that still shows up as a chronic condition for me, no matter right. how much I've done. Right, right. And I, I as well, because, I, you know, I lost all the weight with the obesity, and I still have to be careful, um, you know, with my diet and so forth. And and I think the the repair, so we're, what we're talking about is, is the repair. So how do we repair the gut? Well, and there's there's different ways to repair the gut. But in the model that we teach here, and it's discussed in the first section of my of my book, and it's actually two chapters by my wife with the Swiss biological medical model. The first part of the model is we have to reduce the toxic load. The, our bodies have a toxic load from everything that we've ingested that that we shouldn't have ingested and that that's gotten stored one way or another, you know, in the liver, the pancreas, the brain. Even the heart can store um, these type of metabolites. And so the first thing we have to do is to really begin to detoxify the body. Now, in, this, in the Swiss model that we work with, that means, you know, colon hydrotherapy, um, the taking uh, enemas when necessary to, to begin getting some of the toxins out of the body. But a big part of that model, Cheryl, is the getting the heavy metals out of the body and getting all the metal out of the mouth and getting rid of all the root canal teeth. I, I kind of didn't believe in that. It's like, oh, my God, here's another dental thing, and I'm going to have to do all this dental work. And so, but I, I, was, I was still having some challenges with my health. And so I went ahead and had the root canal teeth pulled out, and I heard the dentist gasp when she pulled out this one tooth. It had a, a quarter-inch-long bacterial cyst, and it looked like a worm wiggling. And that's exactly what Dr. Rao in the Swiss Biological Medicine model is saying, that these root canal teeth create bacteria in the jawbone and all of that is draining into our gut. So all of that has to be cleaned up. So it's a cleanup from top to bottom with, with the teeth, 
Um, and with the gut itself, with, uh, you know, reducing the toxic load with the processed food and the added sugar, and then opening up the elimination channel through colon hydrotherapy or enemas or sweating, um, exercise, all those kind of things to begin opening those channels. Um, so that's a, a rough outline of the model that we use here. It's in the book. Right. Right. Well, um, yeah, I, you know, I've used biological dentistry for, uh, you know, 40 years as well, taking out all my metals. And um, I did have a root canal, and that went bad, took that out. Yes, you know, this has been such a journey for all of us as we learn more to make the changes required because, um, you know, you can't be healthy if you have a root canal, which will never I mean, a root, a root canal just lets the dead tissue remain in the body. It, it's not designed, body's not designed to have necrotic tissue. <laughs> it's going to lead to trouble. So we need to understand, and, and I guess it's getting this knowledge and then beginning to make a plan and put it into action. Yeah, there, there, it's a repair plan. Um, and the repair plan, you know, it has to be, the kitchen looked at as the emergency room, but also a very compassionate heart. It's where the fire is. It's where it, it's where the energy goes into the food, you know, in the kitchen. We do a lot of bone broth. And, you know, I know some of the, the audience might be vegetarian or vegan. And there are, there are vegan and vegetarian broths that you can use to repair the gut lining because there's a lot of repair work that has to be done. And then a reseeding with the proper probiotics. So my wife and I, we do a lot of culturing and we do a lot of fermentation. I learned the whole Ann Wigamore um, program many years ago, and I still do fermented nuts um, and seeds and the seed cheeses. And then my wife uh, does the classical Japanese style of, of fermentation. And you can also go to your local store and, and buy specific uh, probiotics. Uh, and there are some good ones for women, and there are good ones uh, for men. There's some really good products out there right now, but you've got to really start thinking about um, getting those back into your diet, getting fermented food back into your diet, and especially the ones, it's trial and error because some of them are going to make you really gassy, and that could be uncomfortable. So you'll find your way with it. It's trial and error, and you've got to have fun with it. Um, I like to have a little piece of chocolate every now and then. If you know, if I'm on a, a detox for three or four days, uh, I'm going to want to have a measured indulgence and, and, and give myself, a, you know, a piece of chocolate or something like that. But it's not going to be a whole box of chocolate or a whole box of cookies or, or whatever. So anyway, it's a, it's a repair, but it's a cycle, and we have to start into that cycle of the repair with loving kindness. Because ultimately, we're developing a sense of empathy for ourselves. When you begin to repair your gut, it creates what is called somatic empathy. And, and you can feel how other people are suffering in the gut when you see them. And you can actually feel their pain because there's a lot of pain that people experience in their intestines. And once you start decreasing that pain, it creates a sense of empathy, self-empathy and self-love because you're caring for yourself. And then it develops emotional empathy. 
so your heart can get cleared up. You can decrease the anger, strong emotions, and that creates an emotional empathy in which you can feel the emotions of other people and not get hooked into it. And you can see the trouble that that causes. So the birthplace of compassion is really somatic empathy in the gut and emotional empathy in the heart. And that's created through these strategies um, and things that I'm recommending in the book and that we're having a conversation right now that you and I have tried many of these things, Cheryl, and they, and they work. They work for us. Well, I uh, could not be at the stage I am in my life without any pain, without any noticeable you know, ailment, um, no lack of energy, sleeping well, emotionally more than ever before in my life, I would say in harmony, um, without doing all this work. Yep. And and sooner the it, better you start, to be honest. <laughs> you, you can't be happy. You can't live a happy life. And that's that's what we're here to do, to live a, to, to be able to live life with a, a joyfulness, right? And an appreciation. And if your gut is impaired and your liver is impaired, the liver creates anger and the gut if your gut and intestines are impaired, you're gonna have more self doubt. Uh, operate with not good enough, more guilt. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's it's people don't really appreciate that the dysfunction of these organs have a corresponding emotion associated. And if you're out of balance, it's going to be a you know a negative emotion. If you heal it, it's going to open you to those positive emotions. Which this right. is like so profound just to understand that. Right. Absolutely, and and I think you know within the context of this whole conversation that you know the, the diet and in all of this is simply a part of our spiritual formation. And when we see what, what's happening on the planet for the past two or three years, and 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 many people in in my social circle having to make the decision that wait a minute, we need to move in a spiritual direction. We need to move in that way that we can repair the inside of our body so that, you know, the kitchen, you could say, is the new church because a lot of people don't like to cook. I understand that. 33% of Americans don't like to cook, but you can learn how to cook and, and you can learn how to take care of yourself. If you want to frame it not as drudgery or I've got to do this, right? You know, I'd rather go through the drive-in window at, at whatever fast food restaurant but it's a part of our spiritual formation. And as you say, as we get into these, these different strategies and different skills for taking care of ourselves, we become spiritually mature. And we realize, oh, this feels good. I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm, I'm more social. I'm, I'm more able to connect with the environment. I enjoy going to the beach and just looking at, at the at the ocean and so forth without having to look at my watch. Oh, I got to get back to do this or do that or, you know, whatever. And finally, I think within this context that as we're saying, you know, we get to a point where we can feel this happiness. And again, we're, we're not, we're not saying it, it's 24 seven because we're humans. 
But we have the resilience when we experience our humanity of coming back to ground, of coming back to spiritual formation, of coming back to that open awareness that ultimately leads for me to what I call spiritual authority. And that means for me that, and I I have felt this in the past two years, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity, and I tried to express it in my book, that all of us, and it's my belief, Cheryl, all of us have the capacity for a direct connection to the sacred without the need for ministers and priests, priestesses, what all, all of us have within our heart that direct capacity to feel the sacred, to know the sacred, and to embody the sacred in the context of our own life and within the context of our own aptitude. One of my great teachers, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, said that there's over a thousand spiritual aptitudes, and we've heard it from Rumi, there's a thousand faces of God. So find your way with your own spiritual dynamic, but please consider the kitchen as part of your spiritual formation. Please consider the bathroom as part of your spiritual formation and and include everything. I remember... um, I was taking a, a Buddhist chaplaincy training program several years ago at the Upaya Institute, and I loved the training I got from some of the women uh, rabbis And because I had struggled with atheism early in my life. And there was one rabbi, where she was so funny, and she had all of us define God. And we had this great discussion about God, and she finally looked at us and said, look, God is everything. You know, I, I could get behind that. God is everything. That means everything is spiritual. I've heard that in Hinduism. You hear that in Buddhism. And, and that's the essence of what we're talking about. We have to look at the entirety of our life every single moment, 24-7, as a spiritual opportunity to connect to the sacred in the present moment. And that's, that's what I talk about a lot in the book. Well, so interesting you say that because there is nothing more amazing and more sacred and more an example of this incredible intelligence that brought this whole creation to being than the body, than the body, and, and how the body works and how it's created and the influence of the body. You know, it's like this embodiment of this profound intelligence. I mean, if you look... You know, every cell, I mean, when I was lecturing about, you know, the many things I lecture about, I was talking about the cell performs 100,000 metabolic reactions per second. But I was wrong, Michael, because I learned from one of my other guests that it's more like a million or more biological (laughs) reactions per second in a cell. Mind-boggling, right? Mind-boggling. And how does that happen? How does that happen? You know, who created that to put it all together? <laughs> you know? Well, it's it's awesome. And even going back to the gut, you know, when you, you know, get deep appreciation of the gut in this environment, this world that lives within us that really is um, uh, directing so much of how we operate in the physical that, you know, your gut, everything impacts the gut. You know, the seasons impact you, the, the, the variety of um, – microbiome that are active each time of the year or, you know, 
Watching the sun has an impact on the health of your microbiome or digging in the garden affects your microbiome, right? I mean, we're all connected all the time in deep and profound ways. Yeah, I, it's, it's beautiful. I have to tell you, you know, because I'm an academic, was an academic embryologist, I taught uh, embryology in the pre- and perinatal psychology programs at the Santa Barbara Graduate Institute. And, and when I first started studying human embryology, I remember the first book I got, and I started reading it, Cheryl, I started to cry. I, I literally started to weep. When I saw the beauty of creation, um, unfolding page after page. Nowadays, when you pick up an embryology book, it's just a lot of genetics. But the the older embryology books have more comparative embryology and more of a style of, of just showing you how the cells unfold and all these complex interactions. And, you know, I said earlier, which is interesting, that the heart is the first organ system that develops fully because it's got to come online pretty quickly. But it, in reality, Cheryl, the first cells that differentiate, the first stem cells that, that, that differentiate at the end of the first week are the cells destined to be the intestinal tract. But what happens to those cells in the first week of human development is they perform the function of the gut and they mimic the earliest stages of evolution on the planet Earth. And I'm talking about billions of years old. So our microbiome and our gut is actually the oldest system of the body. And it's, it doesn't just predate to the embryo. I have to do a presentation on that this week. And so I, it's on my mind right now. And I was working on that presentation earlier today. And just to show that the microbiome, you know, people want to talk about the evolution of the nervous system because that's the system du jour in, in biomedicine. You've got to study the brain. But I'm trying to get the fulcrum lower to the heart and the gut, and you see it in embryology, that that function is first, that those bacteria are starting to, to digest the food and help the function of our growth and development. And it started billions of years old, years ago. And we don't want that system to become extinct with, with what we're doing to our body right now and what we're doing to our gut. And so we want to re do that repair so that we can be in harmony with the entire history of the planet that is actually on the inside of our body. From, that, from the Eastern perspective, it's the earth. You know, we want to come back into the earthiness of our body and, and quit trashing the earth that's inside of our body. But it's so beautiful, Cheryl, the way our body is generated and created from whatever way you look at it, whatever way you look at it, it's such a gift and it's precious beyond belief that we have this gift and we've been given this gift and we can, we can pursue a, a, a spiritual formation in life with this gift of the body. And yet so many people are struggling with the body. So we've got to start some repair and detoxifying. I agree. It's, um, you know, it's something that we've actually never been taught. We've never really been taught to understand and appreciate and, and experience how profound our bodies are. 
and how to support ourselves as we inhabit a body. I mean, we are, we are, you know, we're we're moving around in this vehicle, but we are not this vehicle. Then we don't understand it. We don't know how to take care of it and to look after it and to nourish it so it can be the best vehicle possible. And without that, we, you know, we're we suffer. We really suffer. So. While I have you here, can I can I just change tack a little bit? We talked about in the beginning of the conversation the the heart, and um, and we talked about um, there's a call coming in, and if I hit this button to you know <laughs> tell them to go away, I'm going to lose this call. So I'm going to let it give my best, let it go away. <laughs> Hope they'll stop <laughs> soon. <laughs> So hang in there. I apologize to all my listeners. Uh, okay, still here? <laughs> yeah, I'm can here. Can you hear me? Okay. okay yes, good. I can. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> okay, good. Um, oh, I wanted to talk about the heart and the issues going on with the heart and the myocarditis and the pericarditis. And what are you offering people as ways to help heal the heart right now, Michael? It's a big problem, well, as we know. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a big problem. So in the book um, and, and what I'm doing, you know, with the clients is, um, first of all, uh, the practice that I'm teaching now is called biodynamic cardiovascular therapy. So I'm taking the principles of craniosacral therapy from the biodynamic point of view, and I'm applying them to the cardiovascular system. So what I do is the students that I teach, mainly in Europe and some here in the United States, um, is all the, the contact points with the hands are on arteries, and the arteries that are closely associated with acupuncture points. So that we, we begin right away with um, getting our attention and our perception right into the vascular tree, and then from the vascular tree, all roads lead to the heart. So I, I like to say that let's start at the periphery because in embryology, the, the vascular system starts at the periphery and goes to the heart. It doesn't start from the heart and go out to the periphery. So learning how to touch the vascular tree and then finally come into relationship with the heart. But from a practical point of view, there's, there's uh, breathing. Um, so I teach really uh, precise anatomical breathing in the gut. And there's a lot of work on the gut with, with specific hand positions for the, um, the arteries of the gut. But if you're not a manual therapist, what I also teach then are perceptual processes of visualizing your body. So visualizing your body is blue, the different colors, and you can see that in the book. Like uh, I start with white and then clear light and then blue. And then what I do is I have people visualize the very inside of their heart as a rainbow color, starting with white and then blue and then yellow and then red and then green. These are the five colors associated with the origin of the universe in Tibetan medicine. That these are the five colors with the so-called, in that um, context, their big bang of, of the clear light manifesting five colors, and then the five colors manifesting the five elements. 
and then the five elements manifesting the five senses in our body. So there's a lot of practical work I do with visualization if you don't do the manual therapy. And there's also a lot of practical work just with meditation practice. In order to embody our senses, Cheryl, we've, the sensation that we have of the senses arises first. The mental interpretation, the thoughts and emotions that we have about our sensations occur second. So what I teach people is to embody your senses and stop the thinking process. You don't have to interpret your senses. And in order to, you know, become facile with that, you've got to have a meditation practice or a prayer practice or a skill practice where you can allow the thoughts not to fight them. You're not going to get rid of them, but you can allow them the space that they can self-liberate themselves when you have attention on your breath and on your senses. So there's a big training that we can do to embody our senses and to embody the elements that they came from and the colors that they came from. So that's the, the sequence that I teach, uh, whether you're a manual therapist or not. Wow. So, um, <clears throat> um, you know, one of the most important things that I learned, which helped me get out of um, many years of just getting caught in my emotions and feeling so bad, <laughs> is to observe, you know, to move into that mindful place where you're just observing the sensations and not naming them, but being curious and just observing. That was really profound. And um, it, it became, uh, I guess, even more solidified when I was doing a Vipassana meditation retreat where I was just observing sensations and I had a lot of pain in my back from sitting so long. And when I just observed the sensation, the pain, the experience of pain disappeared. And it was just sensation, but it wasn't defined as pain by my mind. <clears throat> and um, uh, I recently interviewed um, uh, a man named David Hanscom. I don't know if you've come across him, but he's um, a spinal surgeon who <laughs> has uh, seen the light. <laughs> and um, and he's, he's helping people get out of pain and, and shift pain by doing spiritual work. And one of the practices he recommends for those that have a hard time just observing your thoughts is to have a piece of paper every morning in front of you on your desk and you just write every stream of thought you can come up with, just, you know, random, whatever's there, you put it on the paper, and then you take that paper and you, you know, you throw it away, you know, just put it into a little ball and throw it away. And that was his way of getting out of 15 years of pain, taking his thoughts in that manner, which I just thought was, you know, another strategy for people to use. But, um, yeah, he's helping people with um, chronic pain because he realized that all this fancy surgery he did and fusing and putting in uh, uh, all sorts of metal in the body um, did not alleviate people's pain. It created more. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with you because I think that, um, you know, there's no one size fits all. We have to have, you know, a lot of different options. And I have to say that, in the past three months, I have done a number of consultations with pain, with people with chronic pain, clients with chronic pain, 
and and I always try to find out, you know, if they have a spiritual practice or, or what they're doing um, spiritually, you know, in that regard, along with, you know, whatever the other dynamics might be. And I find myself telling people, you might consider that this, this pain that you've been having for so long that, that keeps morphing one way and then the other, that it's, it's the stigmata, that you have received a stigmata. And, and I can say in, in my doctoral research, you know, when you look at medical anthropology, that frequently these pain syndromes that we get into are, are threshold experiences. They're initiatory experiences. They can be mystical experiences if we're willing to look at it from a spiritual component as well. Now, stigmata would, you know, specifically refer to Christianity and to Jesus uh, and so forth. And not just, you know, in the hands and the feet, um, as he did on the cross, but, but rather the, the chronic diffuse pain that some people have, just to get them looking at it from a spiritual point of view can be very helpful and get connected that way, but also that they're undergoing an initiation into the next phase or the next stage of their life. And I think that's also a very important way to look at it. And I, I think that's so profound, and it's a great way to end. We're just about at the end. So I want people to, first of all, um, know your website, which is shayhart.com. Um, you can go to um, uh, Michael's Twitter profile, which is Mango Buddha Now. <laughs> I love that. And, I, and, and as he looks out onto his mango trees. And, uh, and his book. You know, Biodynamics of the Immune System, Balancing the Body with the Cosmos, a profound book, great strategies, great solutions, a great way to just keep expanding one's understanding of who we are and how we can create our connection to ourselves and the universe and the cosmos. So, Michael, it's been such an absolute delight and so inspiring to have you on the show. Thank you for all the great work you're doing. And... um, yeah, just wishing you the best. I'll have to have you back because there's so much more we need to talk about. We just didn't have time today. So uh, so thank you. Thank you for all the great work thank you're doing. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, know, thank I, you very I much for say, being a... I, oh, you're so welcome. I just want to say one minute. <laughs> um, thank you for the, the healing you bring to this planet, most of all. So we have to go. Um, bye to everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. And as I always say every week, always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now.